Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome to season two of the Talking with Traders podcast series with me, Garth McKenzie. In this season, I'll be interviewing various successful traders and investors in my network and asking them pertinent questions about their career in the financial markets. I'll also be discussing how they've dealt with the recent surge in market volatility following the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic and how they are viewing the future as we all adjust to a new way of working. We'll also be talking about market themes that are likely to gain traction in a post-COVID-19 world. Joining me for this week's podcast on the Talking with Traders series is Siam Kidd. Uh, he's the founder of TheRealisticTrader.com. He wrote a book called The 15 Grand Pop Tart. I'm sure we'll talk about that during the interview. <laughs> he's been a presenter all over the world, a keynote speaker at various trading events. He was the star presenter at the US Money Show Las Vegas event. And I first met Siam in 2017 in South Africa when we shared the stage at an IG Markets trading symposium. So it's great to catch up with you again, Siam. Welcome to Talking with Traders. Hey, thanks for having me. It's, and it's good to chat with you again, Garth. Yes, it certainly is. Siam, let's get straight into it. You are uh, an active trader. You, you're the founder of realistictrader.com. Uh, you follow very sound trading principles. And I remember when you and I met the first time, I felt like I'd sort of met my twin brother almost in the sense that I think we follow a very similar philosophy around the yeah. market. We try to portray it in a realistic light. We try not to dress it up to be more glamorous than what it is and, yeah. um, and to put trading in a, you know, in a responsible fashion. Wh where did you get started in trading? And, and tell us a little bit about your background story. Yeah, sure. So I guess I started like every punter, idiot punter does. Um, and the reason I guess I'm really boring these days is because I've done all of the stupid, exciting stuff. So I, when I was 18, I joined the Air Force um, uh, to become a pilot. And at the same time, I, I started to trade. And it it was weird. It's like a seesaw. To begin with, my Air Force career was going great. My trading was going terribly. And I remember, um, I mean, the first four years of trading, I lost 100 grand. So I lost 50 grand in my first year. And then for the next three years, lost another 50 grand. And I guess roughly there or thereabouts. And I had this, I mean, my money management skills, full stop, were just atrocious. Because I had, I was like flying planes. I was having a load of fun. And I, I had this weird system where my take home income would be 2,200 pounds per month. I would blow two grand a month on the markets <laughs> and then blow 200 quid a month on partying and boozing up. Um, it was literally, it was just ridiculous. So I, and all my mates had, and even my old flying boss back then thought I had a gambling problem. And uh, I always tried to cover it up. Like, no, no, I, I don't. But Really, I did. I was addicted to the five-minute and one-minute chart. I was—I've always been a currency trader, so I was, you know, majors and minors, and I was dicking about on the, yeah, one and five-minute charts, just placing over-leveraged trades, tiny, tiny stops, you know, all, all of the, you know, the stuff. I was trading on my mobile phone. Um, I was trading on the move. I wasn't logging. I was literally making every mistake you could possibly make. And so, yeah, four years of hell. Well, 
I mean, it was fun. It was like a typical yo-yo up and downs, massive wins, massive losses. Um, like, for example, my first big win, I'm, I turned, oh God, it, I don't know, 10 grand into <clears throat> 10 grand into 80 grand or something like that. It was just a luck. I was massively over leveraging, massively. And I think I had three massive trades in a row. Um, and then I blew 20 grand quickly. Um, and that was around the pop tart time. We'll talk about that in a bit. Right. Minute. And then, and then I was left with sixty. And then this is how bad at money I was. I went out and bought an Aston Martin. I was twenty-three years old, driving around base in a silly Aston, and yeah, completely destroyed my capital, my trading capital, because I just put it all in a car. So then <laughs> I was, <laughs> then I was left with an, you know, a wait till next month and had another two grand trading account again. And I was like, ah, oh, let's try and run this up again and fail. So. <laughs> Well, I guess at least you did buy the car. You know, I just lost all the money in my early years and never got the car to show for it. So, yeah. so I, I guess <laughs> at least you had something to show for it at some point. But I mean, you tell a very common story there about uh, the very difficult years of starting out as a trader. And likewise, my first six years were not good. They were a disaster. So it yeah. feels like it's almost a rite of passage. You know, So many of the traders that I've interviewed on this uh, series have spoken about their early years being very, very difficult. And it is a bit like a rite of passage, I think, to get into the markets. Yeah. You've got to you know, get some scars and learn the lessons the hard way, ultimately, before you start to learn how to do it responsibly. And that certainly seems to be what you, you do now and certainly what you talk about a lot on your website, the realistictrader.com. Um, so, I mean, nowadays, now that you've advanced and you've progressed uh, and been through the hard yards, what is your primary investing or trading strategy uh, nowadays? <clears throat> um, yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I'm, I've always been a trend trader. So I, and I, I, I look at everything from a uh, first principles point of view. And so when you look at any old market over a period of time, you'll find that uh, most markets trend probably anywhere between 15 to 30% of the time. And the rest of the time it's ranging or choppy, etc. Um, and so I actually started out when I was doing day trading, et cetera, I, I was fading freaking everything. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd be hunting for choppy ranging markets and I'd fade everything. And, um, and that's, that's good. But then I guess from my research and from my point of view, at least, um, the only real trading strategy or investment strategy that has worked over multiple centuries is trend trading. Um, like when a market trends, it tends to trend longer than you think. Uh, and that's where you can get some really good um, uh, R multiples. So uh, everything like good old Dr. Van Tharp, um, I, I learned R multiples from, from his book years and years ago. And so I'm, all, I'm always looking for massive like R multiples. So and the way I do it is I... I guess I'm constantly taking little nitpicks at the market using, you know, entering with very low risk um, trades. So I, all I'm looking for are low risk, high probability outcome trades. That, that, that's it. Mm. And what I want to do is try and latch onto a, a trend. And so I'm constantly, you know, nitpicking, trying to get in. And then when I get in and, you know, and the market starts trending, that's, that's when it's game time because I then scale in. So, for example, if we go back to, I guess, the, probably the best trading day I've ever had is, uh, I think it was 24th of August, 2015, Black Monday. Mm -hmm. So I was 
shorting everything pretty much uh well i was massively long on pound kiwi because that was going nuts that spiked crazy but um if we take i think the dow or the s p 500 that just collapsed i think it, it didn't drop too much on a point basis i think uh, in fact I'm, i've got my chance here i'm just gonna have a quick look i'm just gonna quickly go back to the sorry <laughs> no, no so problem. Scaling it. Um, I just want to get the numbers up. I have the worst memory, you see. Um, here we go. Yeah. So, so when when look at the Dow, the Dow um, only dropped about two thousand three hundred points over a number of, a couple of days. Um, but on over that period of time, I I got it. I probably banked about twenty five thousand points. Wow. Even though the yeah, even though the market only dropped. Um, you know, just over 2000 points because the, I, I scale in. So I ended up having dozens and dozens of trades. And I, in fact, on my website, uh, if you go to um, my about page, I've got the, I put the generated report, the broker generated report up there. You can see mm. um, how there'll be a whole bunch of pound Kiwi trades, indices, etc. And so, yeah, when I latch onto, an, uh, onto a trend, I will, I'll just trail the stop up um, and then look for re-entries. And so, yeah. Yeah. And what, when you start out to trade, because obviously, you know, yes, you're a trend trader, but you never, you don't know that the trend is going to trend until it's trending. Right. right? So I suppose yeah. you've got to, you know, you've, you've, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs before you find the prince. And, yeah. um, and, and in that respect, obviously this is a probabilities game. Every yep. trade that you do essentially is a probability outcome. You and you're taking a bit of risk to find out whether your your analysis or your thoughts are correct or not. What yep. percentage of capital do you allow yourself to risk in 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 the beginning of a trade when you point set two, out? 025 percent max risk. So a quarter of a percent. Yeah. yeah. So that's so that's very very <laughs> small. But then obviously you're looking for those multiple R trades. And just for the listeners to this podcast who don't know what an R is, what we're referring to there is the risk. So if if your R is 0.25 percent of your capital, um, let's just say for argument's sake you had a hundred thousand pounds in a in an account, 0.25 percent of that would be 250 pounds. But then of yeah. course the key in this business is to try and ensure that you maximize your risk to reward ratio on your winning trades so you would want winners that are multiple times that are number so you're looking for trades yeah. that are you know i always go for trades that are three or four times the risk i take on but of course yeah, we all want those big ones the 10 are um where you make 10 times more than what you what yeah. you risk i mean in terms of your some of your best trades as a risk to reward ratio have you got those stats handy yeah, they, they tend to all, all the good ones tend to be over tw um, over fifteen to twenty R. So because that that's when because when you get into a trend early, and it, and it then really starts to trend. Like if I'm getting in on you know with something like a fifty pip stop, and then it goes five hundred odd pips. I mean it's you know it, it's it's a really good. Um, yeah, I mean that's that, that's a ten R outcome. Absolutely. But then obviously in in that five hundred. Well, mind you, not 500 pips. I, I, when I say a good trend, I'm looking for the 1,000 pippers. Um, and pretty much every pair will do a 1,000 pip trend at least once a year, minimum yeah. mm. once a year. Yeah. And so I'm not trying to get the top, not trying to get the bottom, because by, by default, if you are trend trading, you will probably miss the first 10, 20% of the move. And the and when it, when the, because the trend is your friend until the bend at the end, the, the bend at the end will take out a couple of your trades. Yeah. 
So you'll miss out the first 10, 20% of the, of the trend. And then the last 10, 20% of the trend is actually going to do damage. Mm. But if you get that meaty chunk, um, you'll be able to put a bucket load of trades in that meaty middle bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, yeah, and you're trading your stop suit. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the, not black, oh, sorry. You first. Yeah. It, in the sense of, of running your profits, because as you said, you know, you're looking for those 15 to 20 R trades. Um, and, and the key with that is to run your profits as, as long as you possibly can and to capture as much of that trend as you can. Um, what sort of technical filter or what, what, what rules do you have to keep you in a trade so that you are able to run a profit for as long as that? Yeah, um, it's really simple. So I've used the 8 and 21 EMA for about 10 years now. Um, and it, it, I find it funny how there's lots of YouTube pretenders, you know, starting to use the 21 EMA and all that. Um, and through me, I, I mean, I've never been taught trading. I've always learned taught things myself and through, through trial and error. And I've just always rested on the 8 and 21. And whenever you look at a trending market um, and, you know, just, just plop those, uh, those EMAs on, you'll find that when it trends, it hugs the 8 EMA. Um, and every now and again, it will punch through the eight, but the 21 EMA, I call it this bigger brother it will slap the market back down or back up or whatever. Mm. And so you can just trail your stop using, you know, just keep it above the 21 EMA. Um, and I also keep an eye on those double O levels. As yeah, well. the, round, the big round numbers. Yeah, the big round, yeah. And, and, and just uh, another question on that respect, because, I mean, we're talking about the, the, those two exponential moving averages that you've referenced. But now yeah. you, you, you're talking currencies, obviously, because we're talking about pips and whatnot. What yeah. sort of time frames charts are you looking at then? Uh, for those, typically the four hour or the daily. Okay, uh, so daily. Okay, so it's as long as that because I, I was almost under the impression that these were intraday charts that you were referring to. Oh, so, no, no. So, so You'll you never actually, get a thousand pip trade playing with like a one hour chart <laughs> yeah, yeah it'll throw you out too often okay yeah. so so actually it's quite broad analysis that you're looking at you're looking at daily charts with an 8 EMA and a 21 EMA as yeah. your, and, your and also the 4 hour and also a 4 hour okay very yeah. very interesting all right fantastic yeah. now we've spoken about the best trade you, the one that you mentioned Black Monday um, and yeah. now we've also we've got to keep it balanced Siam so what about worst oh. trades ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, endless so it's interesting. So when you look at when you if you're to do trading properly, you should you know you should never have oh that was a really good win or that was a really bad loss because everything is just you know our multiples. You should never lose more than one R ever. So you should never get in the position where you're like oh I'm just gonna move my stop loss down a bit more and end up with you know bombing out minus two R. So everything is always minus one R or three R plus etc. So but all my big losers really have been. In, in the earlier years. So the, the earliest one, so remember when I said I grew, I, I ran like 10 grand to 80 and then quickly lost 20 grand. Yes. Um, Cause I was like, Oh, at this rate, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to be a millionaire in two weeks time. <laughs> so <laughs> I was going all in like every trade. I was literally going all in as much as the margin would, would allow me. And so there's once I was at home, uh, must've been on a holiday cause I was still flying at this point. Um, and I was day trading or I was actually scalping and I placed this trade and I, at back then the scalping technique I had didn't have a stop loss. Um, <laughs> and I was a bit peckish. So I wanted to go downstairs and put some pop tarts in the, in the toaster came back like a few minutes later. And I was like, and this trade was going against me. It was like minus nine grand, minus 10 grand, 11, 
12, 13, 14. And literally by the time I, I, I exited that trade, I was, yeah, just over 15 grand loss, um, <clears throat> which wiped my account. I think it was like I had a 22 grand account or something and then boom, 15 grand loss. So yeah, I made loads of mistakes uh, from that one. Um, and, the, and hence the name of your book that you authored, The 15 Grand Pop Tart. Yeah. And yeah. I remember getting a copy of that when we, you and I met in South Africa at that IG Markets <laughs> Trader Symposium, and I've still got the book, and I enjoyed oh, reading cool. it. It's like, in fact, anyone listening to the podcast should try and get their hands on it, because it's, it's a very short, it's a thin book, it won't take long to read, but yeah. the lessons in there are really thorough, and, oh. and, and it's, you know, it distills trading down into some of its most important components. So it's a good book to read as if, if you're wanting like a quick weekend read, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, so so that I guess was a bad trade. I mean, oh god, I've done so many bad trades, it's ridiculous. Um I guess actually these days I Okay, so here here's something which I think is a bit different. I I don't I haven't seen anyone else that's done this other than me and my students, but uh I I I on a big picture, I effectively run two accounts these days. So I have what I call my DIY pension account. And that is an account where the bulk of your money is in and no silliness touches that at all. So I have very strict risk management um, parameters within that and I never, never deviate. So your my discipline level is 100%. And that's something else which I, that's another stat which you should also measure your discipline rate. Um, I mean, I met a fund manager once who was running sort of eight figures, eight, nine figures. And I was like, what's your discipline level? You know, and he wasn't familiar with it. I was like, well, how many trades do you place which are not within your parameter as in your trading plan? And he was like, oh, I'm probably, I'm probably, you know, 95% accurate. I was like, Jesus. I was like, so that's so, so that means 5% of the time, this money manager is literally firing from the hips mm. using gut feeling. And like, would you want your pension manager, pension fund manager, you know, firing from the hip? No, you wouldn't. You'd want 100% discipline rating. Anyway, so I've got my DIY uh, account. Nothing silly happens there. However, I physiologically, I guess, or psychologically, I'm not the best person to be a trader because I've got a gambling streak in me. And so when I'm placing these 0.25% max risk trades and I see it and, you know, and the setup may be juicy, I'm like, God damn it. I don't want, you know, this is going to go better. So I, I then have a gambling account. I call it, or it's got a couple of names, crash account, gambling account, go large account, whatever you want. It's a gambling account at the end of the day. Mm. So I'll then place that identical trade on my gambling account and I'll go all in. I'll, I'll literally risk like 20% max risk on that trade. Okay. But here's the thing, because I know my stats, because I know my hit rate, my stats, my more well, my expectancy. That's all. I, all you really need to know your expectancy. I, I, that I actually make more money from my gambling account than I do my DIY pension account, because what I do is I'll put five, ten grand in it, and I'll blow up that account probably three, maybe four times a year. So at least, yeah, probably once a quarter, I will actually blow up my account, as in my gambling account. Right. But once every 18 months on average, I will 10x or more that account, okay. if that makes sense. It, it does make sense. And then <clears> at <throat> some point, do you sweep that account and shift some of it across to your DIY pension account? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, or these days, if I, if I do run up that account, I will actually go out and buy a toy. Um, just like you said earlier, like in the early days, I went for years without having anything to show for it. 
Um, so, you know, if I run a 10 grand up to a hundred grand, I'll probably, you know, go on a nice five, 10 grand holiday and then put 90 grand back into investments, whether it be in my businesses, um, or crypto or, or yeah, some back in, in the DIY, in the DIY pension account. Yeah. Okay. You spoke there about your businesses and before we started the recording, you were talking to me briefly about this and saying that, you know, trading is not the only thing that you do. And that's something I've found quite common amongst a lot of uh, professional traders is that actually trading is not their only interest, uh, that uh, they also do have a variety of other business interests. And I include myself with that. I don't just trade. I have various other business interests that I'm involved with. And I think psychologically that helps because, you know, you want to have a little bit of a diversified revenue stream but also I just think that psychologically if you know that your ability to pay the bills at the end of the month or the end of the year is entirely dependent on your ability to trade the market profitably well then that places an inordinate (laughs) amount of pressure on you and psychologically that is 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 a killer so you mentioned that you've got other business interests and that um, and that trading is not all you do can you just tell us a little bit about that yeah sure so you're spot on so um I mean, bear in mind, it took me six years to get pro- profitable. And I, I quit my job, as in I quit my Air Force job way too early. Um, and I, I was in a bad situation around sort of 2010, to, yeah, 2010, 2011, because I was jobless. Uh, I couldn't get a job. Literally, I was unemployable. I, even Sainsbury's, Tesco and Asda turned me down for shelf stacking jobs. It was ridiculous. Like, why is this Air Force pilot trying to get a shelf stacking job? It's, you know, no one would hire me. And I was relying on my day trading to pay my rent and utilities. And it was the amount of stress and pressure that puts you under is just remarkable. And I guess what? I blew my account and I was literally pennies away from going bust, like bankrupt, etc. Mm. I had to get a 10 grand loan from my dad. And that was probably the lowest point in my life. Like, yeah, because the bank wouldn't loan me anything. And yeah. So, I mean, he made a great ROI from that loan, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so actually one of the things that turned my trading around, which is really weird, was when I got into business and once you know, my income stream came from my business back then, my trading just suddenly improved because I wasn't stripping the account. I wasn't trying to take, you know, because if you're trading for a living, like full-time you know, and that's your only income, you are literally stripping your, your, your account every month to pay for stuff. Yeah. And it's, and yeah, so I prefer to have an account and leave money in it and just watch it accumulate and, and compound. Um, that's really when trading gets good, when, when you have a lot of money in your account. And then, I mean, you can get like, I guess, going back into the earlier days, you know, there was a point where I was a good trader. I was consistent. I knew my, I knew my shit. I knew my stuff. But, you know, when you're trading a 10 grand account, even if you make a great year and you're making 20 percent, 30 percent or whatever, or whoop de doo Basil. I mean, that's like two grand, three grand profit. Yeah. I mean, it like just it, doesn't move the needle. Yeah, it doesn't hurt, and that's where a lot of people go wrong. I mean, some people after hell two years of maybe three years of trading, you know, they're pretty good good traders, but because of that, you know, the pitiful amount of actual real profit, uh, you know, couple of grand profit that that then leads them into being getting the those horns of greed out, and that's when they blow their account. Yeah. So. Yeah, going back to the sort of the business question. So yeah, um, I started getting into business. I quickly realized that every billionaire on the planet pretty much got their riches via business. I was like, oh, okay. Well, there must be something there then. If all, I mean, pretty much every millionaire, centimillionaire I knew back then, 
I managed to, um, or eventually I, I knew quite a few um, rich people. They're all business owners, every one of them. Mm. Um, so I was like, oh shit, I've I got to get into business. So then I started doing that, failed massively because I, I, I knew that the starting averages were like, you know, in your first, if you've never run a business before, you have a nine out of 10 chance of blowing it, you know, not, not passing year one. So I was like, screw this. I'll just, it's like trading, our multiples, screw it. Okay, that one, that one business that will win needs to be more than 10R. Right. There we go. Yeah. yeah. And I did it. And so I think it was lucky business number four and then five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, like all the others were, were fine. So what I've, what, since 2015, I've been big into mergers and acquisitions. So I buy businesses or <laughs> I went to, the, the plan was to buy and sell businesses, but all I've done is buy businesses. I haven't really sold many. <laughs> okay. um, the, yeah, so I'm just a bit of a hoarder of businesses at the moment, which isn't good because it takes too much bandwidth, mental bandwidth. You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. So what I do is I all the profits from my businesses, I then siphon off into my trading slash investing. And that, that's all I do. Mm. Okay. Now, part of your business is, is as we said, the realistictrader.com and, um, and you run a 12-month trading program on that. And yeah. uh, that's where you, you get students, you, you vet the students, you won't just accept anybody in as far as I yeah. can tell. And yeah. you run a program teaching people how to trade and how to, uh, you know, to approach the market in a responsible fashion and ultimately to become consistent and successful as traders. And yeah. in, in leading up to that question and before we started the recording, you mentioned that we want to talk about your trading bot as well, which I presume is tied into the 12-month trading program. Can you tell us a bit yeah. about your trading bot? Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because in my 15 grand popped up book, one of the things I said to massively avoid are trading bots. Um, one, because for the last 10 years, I've never got one working properly. Um, and what I've now realized is that the missing jigsaw piece, which actually turns a good or uh, makes, enables you to have a, a, an actually a good bot, is machine learning. Now, machine learning has only really become widely accessible over the last couple of years. And so, yeah, we now have a machine learning trading bot. And so that, that was pretty cool. But the, the thing that was frustrating me is that um, in the early days of, I guess, teaching people how to trade, I would teach everyone identically. You know, they're all watching the same videos. They're all watching the same, you know, live sessions, etc. Yet I could not understand why everyone was getting wildly different results. We'd have some students that are absolutely nailing it. Um, and those students, you know, they've been with us for seven odd years now. They're some of the, you know, they're the mentors in the group. And then on the far end of the scale, we have some people that absolutely are, are just atrocious. Now, and I was like, how the hell, as, you know, a, a, a teacher, can I get rid of that variance? Because that's, that's high variance. Um, and I mean, I've now come to the conclusion, you know, using, looking at all of our stats, etc., is that, I mean, you could have the world's best trading system and you could teach it to 100 people and they would still all get different results, no matter how stringent the rule, rules are. And the thing is, it's the human element. Humans are just stupid. 
we are all stupid in in a sliding scale um and we we <clears throat> and so one of my goals is just to be less stupider than i was yesterday um that's that that is my i'm constantly learning i i have an insatiable thirst for, for learning and i just want to do better thinking make less mistakes than i did yesterday etc so uh, but not everyone else is like that and if you're not disciplined, you will fall into those, those traps that I put in my book. Like, you know, you will get into day trading, but the wrong way. Um, you will, you know, over leverage, over trade, all that, all of the, you know, the basics. So that's why you get different things. So this is why I've really pursued this machine learning bot, because what we can now do is that everyone from day one, we, we do a zoom call, you know, you get hooked up on your bot on a live account straight away. So that way, your money is is working for you. You know, you're not missing out on trades because a lot of people are like, oh God, Sam, I don't want to do this. You know, all all of these videos because there's a lot of videos. There's like sixty plus hours worth of training videos, right? Which is like, this isn't like a quick course, and and I don't want anyone that's in it just you know for for a quick buck. Um, but what we had, a, we had a lot of people saying, oh God, I don't want to wait a year before I can start trading live money or six months or whatever. Because typically what I used to say was, you know, trade on a dummy account until you're consistently profitable. And on average, that'll take, I don't know, six months, let's say. Mm. But then people are, you know, they're, they're chomping at the bit. So now people can start trading real life markets with their own money in their own account. I don't take anyone's money um, straight away. And it takes the pressure off so they can learn in slow time. Okay. Yeah. So, very interesting. Yeah. Um, and and um, yeah. what you've spoken about here is you know a lot of learning and constantly wanting to see the next big thing. Now, obviously, we're living in a very uh, fast-changing world now, particularly with COVID nineteen. It's rapidly changing the way we all work, and it's introduced yeah. a whole lot of additional volatility into the markets. Most recently, um, mm -hmm. in that context, are there any? particular themes that you are focusing on looking out into the future perhaps themes that weren't there pre-covid that are there now yeah God, that's a big question i could talk for an hour just on that question um so i think a lot of people are thinking and i think i'm incorrectly thinking that eventually you know cure is going to come out a vaccine or whatever and everything will go back to normal that's not going to happen this is the new paradigm shift. We are in the new paradigm shift right now where everything is dispersing and will remain dispersed. We'll see, you know, over the years, let's say, I mean, right now, everyone is, loads of businesses all over the world have realized that they don't need massive fancy office buildings. They can still run their business leaner with less staff or rem working remotely or, uh, you know, a portion of them working remotely, et cetera. Um, and as a result, we're seeing massive, you know, insolvencies, uh, um, and bail bailouts. I mean, we got into going bust. We have like there's so many big businesses going bust right now, or going to chapter. <clears throat> um, yeah. So yeah, um, get, becoming insolvent, etc. So <clears throat> the I I think this is the new paradigm shift. And when you're looking at macro metrics, so I mean, everyone seems to think that the stock market and property prices equal you know equals a healthy economy, like rising stock prices. Like it, it's not. Um, <clears throat> actually rising house prices is detrimental to GDP. Um, but when you're looking at the real health metrics of uh, like, this is going to be not an L shaped recovery. It's going to be like a lightning bolt down. Like we're looking at 1929 depression sort of stuff. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so 
and especially if you look at the velocity of you know US M2 or the, you know the US money supply or currency supply, it's 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 plummeting. The only reason that they're having to do huge amounts of stimulus is because velocity is is jumping down. But going back to your question, what does this mean for the future? So, I think we are in for the biggest depression we will will see for centuries. That's just my opinion. So I'm bracing myself for an absolute shitstorm. What does that mean for businesses? Um, it means loads of businesses are going to go bust. We're seeing them already. Like it, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The Federal Reserve is buying up corporate debt right now. That's how crazy it is. Mm. Like, um, and I made a video on my YouTube channel, and there's like 70 companies, all that, all um, getting debt from the, um, getting capital from directly from the Fed. And we're talking Microsoft. We're talking, you know, Caterpillar. The, Hyatt, Marriott Hotels. Um, God, there's loads. Uh, Check that video out. It's just insane. So I've actually stopped my M&A stuff. I'm I'm not buying any businesses yet. It seems like, you know, it's a fire sale, but I think it's going to get a lot worse. And I I personally don't know where the dust is going to settle. I don't know. Like if it is as bad as I think it will be, I don't know what businesses will thrive in the new future, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the population has already been conditioned to go to, you know, be willingly going into lockdown the moment the WHO says, hey, so something else is here. I know coronavirus two is out or whatever. Um, lockdown and everyone going to lockdown again. So if you're, so what I definitely don't want to buy or get into is any form of business which will be affected by lockdown, if that makes sense. Right. So travel, all that, the, the, the travel screwed permanently. Um, so, yeah so that's that but also when you're looking at this from an economics point of view like the fed or the the central banks and the governments will continue to 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 pump that's the only thing they can do pretty much i mean again i don't want to bore you the time is limited today but we are they will pump and pump and pump until they can't pump Mm. or where you know velocity money it just won't touch the sides so In an inflationary environment, so we're, when we're talking, at the moment we're, we're talking about monetary inflation where they're expanding the currency supply, eventually that will trickle down and we will see real inflation as in price inflation. Yeah. And so when we enter a price inflationary world, or hell, even a monetary inflationary world where we are in right now, you absolutely 100% need to buy assets which are non-inflationary or deflationary in terms of their supply. Okay, right. so it's a shame we don't have video. So imagine on your left hand, if you imagine in your left hand, your left hand has the, the currency supply and that's growing and growing and growing and growing. Okay, and now on your right hand, you now have a bunch of assets. It could be widget. Let's just call it a widget. Now, if the, the, if the, if the supply of that widget is limited or is growing slowly in comparison to your left hand currency supply, that is what you need to go into. And so when you scour the world assets for um, non-inflationary or deflationary assets, in brackets, when you're looking at the, the currency supply, my, my, all my needles and pointers and whatever just keep coming back to bullion and, um, bullion and crypto. So gold, for example, grows roughly, the supply of gold grows roughly 1.8% per year in line with human population growth. Mm. But what's the currency supply doing? We all know it's exponential. Debt is exponential. 
So when you have a limited supply, gold and silver are going to go to the moon. They have to. And again, when you're looking at a higher level, it's highly likely that, you know, China or the IMF will back a current, you know, they could back the SDR with a, a small proportion of gold. Or if China backs, you know, M2, their M2, their, you know, um, their monetary supply by, you know, even 10% gold, then, you know, we're seeing gold in high five figures. And then if you look at the gold to silver ratio, then you'll realize that gold is massively overvalued compared to silver. So it's like, oh, screw this, don't buy gold, just buy silver. And then swap into gold later when that ratio comes back down. Mm. Um, so that's the bullion element. And then you look at the crypto element, which when I look at the triple R, sorry, the risk to reward ratio, or just R multiple of, of, of stuff, I've never in my life, and by the way, I'm a student of money and the history of money. I've never seen an asset which has such a high R multiple. We're talking thousand R plus, easy. Um, and you're talking specifically just cryptos in general now. Yeah, let's just, just let's just for shits and giggles, let's just say Bitcoin, okay? Uh, let's. I'm not going to be dicking around with any ICOs or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Let's just say Bitcoin for all intents and purposes when I say crypto. So we all know like there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. Um, but that's, I mean, the last Bitcoin will be mined in the year 2140. And so when you look at the distribution of the supply, like 90% of all Bitcoin, 90% of all Bitcoin are out there right now. Okay. Mm. So it's plateauing in terms of um, supply. Now, when you look at, all the hodlers, etc. So there's been roughly four to five million Bitcoin that have been lost. That's irrecoverable. I've personally lost about 20 Bitcoin when I first got in, um, not knowing what I was doing, sending it to the wrong address, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you have all the whales, all the big, big boys. I mean, Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever him, she, they organization are, yeah. they've got a, a one million Bitcoin just locked up. <clears throat> from you know from from the beginning and then you have all of the the miners and the the whales as in the big multi-billionaire holders so when you're looking at realistic circulating supply you're looking at something like 10 to 12 million bitcoin out there right so that's the supply 10 to 12 million bitcoin so now look at the currency supply like you know if you look at m like it's an exponent it's exponentially growing we've in terms of stimulus they've created more stimulus in the last four months than they did between 2008 and 2012 already yeah it's unbelievable <laughs> how how aggressive the fed has been expanding their balance sheet over this time right. yeah and obviously the the financial sector is obviously just gobbling and absorbing all of that up some of that may trickle down into property um and then eventually some will trickle into other stuff but for me just looking at it from a market point of view cryptos is what 0.3 trillion dollar market cap Gold is um, roughly a $9 trillion market cap. The global stock market is an $80 trillion market cap. And the global bond market is a $100 billion market cap. Well, actually now, post-COVID, is going to be a lot more. All it takes is another tumble. So I, I believe that the March lows will be taken out. I think, I mean, that's another topic. But I, I see a massive stock market crash coming um, imminently. Um, and when that happens... All it takes is for a couple of trillion dollars just to spill off from, you know, the 180, call it $200 trillion bond and stock market. All it needs is just a couple of trillion dollars just to enter into crypto or Bitcoin. And that will spark Bitcoin like crazily. I mean, put it this way. 
I grew uh, publicly and I, I broadcasted every move in 2017. I moved, I grew a $25,000 uh, crypto account to $1.1 million in four months. And that's when the, 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 the crypto market cap went from $400 billion to $800 billion. So I had like a, what was that? A 4,000% return. Um, which, I mean, I didn't get out at, at that. I, I got out a bit late for my liking. So I got out big, I got out of Bitcoin around 13 or 11 and a half grand. So 11 and a half thousand dollar Bitcoin. So a bit late. The, but yeah, going back to this, so like if you look at, if you take all of um, the elite's wealth, so when you look at every billionaire, millionaire, and, or anyone that's, that has over sort of a million pounds net worth, you're looking at something like $260 trillion worth of wealth. Now, most people wouldn't bat an eyelid to put 1% of their, net, of their liquid net worth into something, okay? Mm. Like, even if you're earning, you know, a thousand pounds a month and you got a hundred quid spare at the end of the month, like what's 1% of that? It's one quid, right? No one would bat an eyelid of putting one pound into something. So, let's, so just imagine all the millionaires, or, you know, $260 trillion, 1% of that flowing into crypto it's going to send, you know, Bitcoin well beyond 50 grand of Bitcoin. So, um, and so I've gone off on one for cryptos there, but yeah, going back to your original question, which is where do you see stuff happening now? For me, it's, I'm sitting tight in businesses. I'm going to buy a whole bunch of businesses in a, in a couple of years when shit really has hit the fan and there's metaphorical blood in the streets or hell, probably even real blood in the streets. Yeah. And meanwhile, I'm loading up on, well, I've already got my gold and silver or mainly silver, but now I'm going to be accumulating um, ether primarily. Okay. Okay. Very good. We're getting towards the end of our allotted time. So I've got just one or two more questions for you, Sorry. Sam. <laughs> um, if a, if a, a newbie comes to you, and obviously this happens because you run trading courses and you run education, so a lot of new start-out traders come to you. Um, what piece of advice, if you had to give them two or three bits of important advice as a start-out trader, what would you talk to them about? Oh, man. Um, first of all, are you financially stable? Um, as in, do you have a regular, reliable income stream? If you don't, don't even think about trading. Like, don't. You need to sort yourself. You need to sort yourself out first. Like, I've taught probably over ten thousand people now, and I, I, I can see the patterns, and I know that everyone in the early days who joined me, and I didn't know, but in hindsight, I now know that they were financially unstable. They were yeah. my worst students yeah. by far. They were gamblers. They were, you know, um, it's just, as we mentioned earlier, there's so much stress. So you need to, you know, enter this with, you know, um, a, a stable base. You don't, what you don't want to do is borrow money to get into trading. Um, you also need to be realistic. You're not going to double your money in your first year of manual live trading. You're not, you, you know, hell, if you break even, I'm really happy for you. Mm. Um, because there's a lot of things you've got to learn. Um, People seem to think they can do like a, a really quick online video course or whatever, or buy a strategy from TradingView or whatever and, and make money. It, it's, it's, that's as gullible and naive as thinking you can pick up a drill and become a dentist pretty, you know, in a week. Uh, <laughs> like it, it's not going to happen. Like there's so many people I speak to who have no understanding of of basic, in my opinion, basics like expectancy. What's expectancy? What's variance? What's your hit rate? I mean, everyone's obsessed with hit rate. I don't give a shit about hit rate. Like my trend, 
by default, trend trading, you will have a low hit rate. Yeah. Typically, I'm 35 to 40% accurate with my trend trading. Wow. Okay, so 35 to 40% accurate means that you're, you're, you're wrong on 60 to 70% of your trades. Yeah, I'd probably say more like 35%, yeah. Yeah, but of course, you're, you're making so much more on the winning yeah. trades than what you lose on all of those losers, and net-net, yeah. you come out really positive at the end of it. I think off the top of my head, if you're, if you're maintaining a minimum of 3R with your trend trading, you can be wrong 23% of the time and break even. Hmm. It that's like right. That. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, and that's what a lot of people don't realize about this business is that you know, keep the losses small, let the winners take care of themselves. And if you do that properly, the, the winners really will take care of you. Yeah. Just one more question before we wrap yeah, it up yeah. then, Siam. Um, are, are you a big reader at all of books and trading books? And do you have any, you know, two, let's say two books that you can recommend uh, to listeners of this wow, podcast. Yeah, when it comes, it comes to trading, actually, no, I haven't read a trading book in years. However, my, my two favorite, or for my favorite trading books, by definitely get um, Trade Your Way to Financial Freedom by Van Tharp. Van Tharp, Van Tharp. yes. Yep. Um, that's such a cheesy book name, but it's literally the best thing I've ever read when it comes to trading. And in that book, it talks about our multiples. That's where I read it. So whenever he launched that, um, I read, read it around then. Yes. I think. Um, so that's one. Um, the trading turtles are good. Um, yes. Is it the Mark, Mark Curtis one? Um, yep. And then all of Jack Schwager's Market Wizards. Yes, so, love those yeah. books. Um, and then I don't course, read them. I, I listen to all of them. Yes, so. yeah. Likewise, I'm also big into audio books nowadays. Um, just yeah. you can kill two birds with one stone if you do an audio book. Um, yeah. And then of course <laughs> the the fifteen grand pop tart. Your oh, book 100%. must have to be on the list, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's free you can get that for free yeah. um oh oh here so regarding your other question in terms of advice um as you know as a trader there is a war amongst us between fundamental traders and technical traders you've probably seen this of um, and everyone's oh no fundamentals way forward technicals way forward um please if you're new to this don't get sucked up in that stupid war honestly it because there is no right or wrong all I would say every form of trading works. I'm a, I'm not a fan of news trading at all, but it works if you know how to do it. If you have a fast news feed, blah blah blah. But the thing is, also have um, context. So time frames is important. So what you absolutely must not do is read the news and go and you know look at some big macro fundamental thing and go, oh my god, this is really bullish. Let's go long. And then place a trade on, you know, your five minute chart or hell on a daily chart because fundamental stuff takes time to play out, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah. So if you, so this is why I think if you're trading, you should really start off being a technical trader because, you know, trying to understand all the fundamental stuff as a beginner is just, it's futile. Just yeah. have a, a mechanical system and stick to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Trade what you see is one of the things I really believe in and look at the charts, look yeah. at the technicals and trade what you see. And you're quite right that you try and marry a long-term fundamental view to a short-term technical, uh, a short-term trading view just doesn't work in, in my yeah. experience. Who's you investing? Yeah. No, quite right. Well, yeah. I'm going to have to end it there. We've run out of time now, Siam. It's, it's gone very <laughs> quickly, but I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for giving me about 45 minutes of your time today. It's fantastic to catch up again. And I hope we can catch up again now that I'm in the UK uh, again sometime soon. Yes, definitely. 
Right. Awesome. You, well, you, yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry if I spoke too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I called you for. So thank you very much for your time. Cool. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking with Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to the series by clicking the subscribe button on your favorite app. Till next time.